0: Welcome into this off-season edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's been a little bit since we've been here talking shop, but with MLB Free Agency and the hot stove in full effect, really, at this point, had to jump on a pod here with my buddy Matt Sells, just like we do in the regular season, and we got to break down the moves. This is actually going to be the first of, I guess, two pods that we're going to do here. We're going to talk about the state of the National League, and then in the coming days, there'll be another one talking about the American League. But first, before we dive into all the moves that have happened in the NL featuring NL Central contenders for fourth place in the division, Pittsburgh Pirates, Matt, how is everything going for you, my friend?
1: Uh, Not too bad. I mean, I'm not getting signed to a massive uh, free agent contract, but then again, I'm not a free agent, so don't anybody get any ideas. Um, But yeah, it's been very interesting to see what teams are doing what. Some Some of the big spenders are spending big. Uh, And then some of the teams we kind of thought might be big spenders aren't actually spending big. And there's some curious moves being made. So we'll kind of break it down division by division, kind of see what we're feeling about each division. And then, um, you know, then like you said, in the coming days, we'll do an AL version of this one, too.
0: I think... And it's always interesting, you know, sometimes like in fantasy baseball, we always talk about, well, sometimes the best deal that's made is the one that you don't make. So as interesting as it is, what some of these teams are doing, it's equally as interesting what some of these teams aren't doing. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. You know, the teams that have been making a bunch of splash moves will probably get a little bit more pub and airtime here in this pod. But We're going to hit on all the teams across the National League, take a look at everything. I know fantasy football is going on, but Matt and I have been grinding a lot of content for the MLB offseason. So over at FantasyAlarm.com, not only are we doing the MLB free agent tracker, so all notable players are getting written up in the tracker. It'll be a little bit of, excuse me, how the move impacts reality, as well as what to expect from a fantasy perspective. And then some of the bigger name players, a la Trey Turner, Alexander Bogarts, Justin Verlander, and, you know, now the most recent, Carlos Correa, they're going to get a little bit more pub on the site, so they'll have a full write-up. And the most recent one will be Matt's uh, breakdown of the Correa signing to San Francisco, which we need to talk about. So if it's good with you, Matt, let's just jump right in and let's break down what the Giants have done. Because it's really a Jekyll and Hyde situation for me with the Giants. When we look at this team, I like the moves with the pitchers only because it seems like Giants have this, this uh, like pixie dust that they can sprinkle on and rejuvenate these pitchers. So Ross Stripling and Sean Manaya, similar deals, opt out. So I like that. Mitch Hanniger's fine in the outfield. The Carlos Correa move is going to get a lot of airtime. It's going to get a lot of discussion. But I don't know how I feel about this for a multitude of reasons. There's a couple things that I'm going to point out, but I want to get your thoughts on this first. Because to me, the first thing that went off in my head was holy overpay.
2: Yeah,
1: that's a lot of – it seems like somebody from the Mets, I think, leaked that they were maybe kind of sort of uh, the side chick in the Correa talks uh, to get the market moving to maybe force some teams' hands. And the Giants responded by saying, okay, here you go. Here's the fourth largest guaranteed contract in the history of baseball. Um, for you there now, the AAV isn't terrible, but it's still insane to give 350 million dollars to a to a short. I mean, Trey Turner didn't was 50 mil short of that, and I think most people would take Trey Turner's assets over Carlos Correa's. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's an overpay. I think the Steve Cohen might be getting involved. Mood uh, move kind of triggered that. But from a fantasy perspective, what is your view of, um, of this move? Because I know what I'm writing up in the, uh, in the write-up, and it's going to have a spray chart from the lovely Baseball Savant Illustrator. Uh, but what is your view of this move, given what we presume to be the case about the confines of Oracle Park um, and where he's been playing the last eight years, seven of which Houston and one in Minnesota.
0: Well, the easy thing to jump to is when I first think of Giants, it's Pitchers Park, and that plays into effect of why pitchers have had some good success there. So if we're looking here, you know, I'm looking at the park factors over at Baseball Savant, which I'm sure you're going to reference, or that were referenced in the article. But when you look for a guy like Correa for right-handed hitters, I mean, they're, he hasn't exactly maybe played the most lucrative per se, but Giants typically tends to f- – play more pitcher-friendly, but they're slightly better in terms of park factor and a three-year rolling average. But the thing with Correa, I mean, it's fine. He's getting paid, the park factors, and you can dive into his spray chart and everything like that. He's a very good hitter at first glance, without really diving too much into the numbers. I have a little bit of skepticism in his new confines. So, And this I- is solely based on just when I first hear – Giants and home park. My first thought goes to pitcher park,
1: right? So I did too. And obviously, you know, we kind of think of Minnesota's home park as being mostly pitcher friendly. Um, and certainly the AL Central is not necessarily known to be hitters' parks, right? Kansas City has the largest outfield in baseball, Detroit is not exactly a hitters' park, Minnesota, his home confines, not exactly a hitters' park. Um, so you know, I was kind of curious, but then you kind of start looking at how consistent he is. And his career batting average right now is 279. He's hit that exact mark three times in eight seasons. Okay. um, And if you take out 2020 and the shortened season there, that's seven years in his career. He's hit between 20 and 26 home runs six times. So... I don't know if I'm all that concerned that we're going to see all of a sudden he only produces 10 home runs now. Because keep in mind, he does get to play the Dodgers. Dodger Stadium is a very hitter-friendly park. He does get to play in Coors. San Diego has started to become a little bit more hitter-friendly now that they have hitters. Um, So, you know, I'm, I'm not as skeptical and off of him as I originally thought I would be. I do think that if you are in a fantasy league that counts slugging or counts extra base hits of some sort, I think this is a huge move for him because you have those massive alleys in San Francisco, like Triples Alley and uh, right center field that he could take advantage of. So it's certainly an interesting move. But I don't, like... I don't know that it hamstrings the Giants quite the way we think because they also have paid off their stadium. Like, they don't have a mortgage anymore on their stadium. So all of that money that everybody else is still paying for their new stadiums, the Giants don't have that problem. So I think that in the next couple of seasons, we're going to see them be big spenders to complement Correa even more.
0: And the only thing that you could might be able to say, if I if I remember reading this correctly with Correa, you could say that he almost has, for a lack of better terms, he almost has San Fran by the balls because he is there's no opt-out and he's a full, like a full, full no trade clause. Correct? Yeah,
1: he's parking it there for 13 years. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. So that could be the only thing if maybe there is a decline in time with him, but I, I wouldn't be too worried about that. When you look at baseball savant and you look at like expected homers, hit twenty-two last year per savant would have had 24 in San Fran last year. So kind of do with that what you will. Before we talk about the other moves with the Giants, interesting here with Correa that I want to ask you about, and from fantasy perspective, it, this might be a waste of time, but in reality, it's worth mentioning. Money talks. Correa plays shortstop. Giants also have another long-term guy that has been there for them forever, that has played shortstop for them forever, and neither of them have played much third base, if at all, in the major so again money talks so do you think my assumption is correct in that Correa plays short and they move Brandon Crawford to third because again money <sighs>
1: talks. probably because I think Brandon Crawford's range is kind of deteriorating a little bit um his arm strength is still good but I think at this point his range is deteriorating you also have Marco Luciano coming up uh, in their farm system, who is, in my estimation, a top 20 prospect in baseball, uh, one of the top shortstop prospects in baseball. Um, so that'll be interesting to see what they do there. But there was, and whether it's to be believed or not, there was some speculation that he would be willing to play third base for the Mets had he signed there. I don't know. Again, I don't know how real that talk was, but. Um, But it's not like we haven't seen this before, like the Yankees signed Alex Rodriguez and he moved to third base, right? Um, Because Derek Jeter was there and despite their better judgment, they left Jeter at shortstop. Um, So we'll see, Uh, you know, for fantasy relevance, I think it does actually help Correa's value because then he becomes a multi guy Um, rather than just shortstop. He'd be shortstop third base. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, you're not getting steals from them. You're getting a pretty decent average, and you're getting about 23 homers. So I'm not sure that really moves the needle on either of those positions all that much.
0: And then just real quick before we move on to the Padres, um, Mitch Haniger signing, I said fine with me. They need out, they need outfield bats badly. I'm more intrigued by the two pitchers they signed in Sean Minaya and Ross Stripling.
1: Yep. Cool. They they like you said they sprinkle uh, pixie dust on pitcher's arms and it works. Phenomenal, right. We've seen it now, uh, for quite a while. Um, with, you know, a guy will make a one-year stint in, um, in San Fran and turned into like one of the best pitchers in baseball. So, um, I saw a lot of Rays or, uh, Blue Jays fans going, we couldn't have matched for Russ Stripling." I'm like, I don't know that you needed to do that. You have a pretty deep starting five. You also have a couple of prospects that can come up if Nate Pearson can figure it out and stay healthy. Uh, Ricky Tiedemann, you know, um, so this is, this is a very nice budget move for the, for the giants to get basically two years out of two starters, um, who have the stuff to be number two and number three starters. So that's, that's a pretty nice signing by them.
0: Also in division, San Diego Padres. They seem to be linked to everybody just because they want to. They got the money and they're willing to do it. Uh, Missed out on Judge. They ended up landing Alexander Bogarts from Boston. 11-year, $280 million deal. So, Matt, I'll ask you your thoughts on that signing. And then one thing I do want to call here, and you can kind of go into this as well. In the, the article that we wrote on the site, I actually wrote this one for Bogarts. I basically talked about how the signing impacts the Padres like we've done in every single other article. And I said that this signing to me is a signal from the Padres that Machado or Soto is gone when their deal is up because they're not going to be able to keep them, or at least they don't think so. So what I put in the article was the Padres won't be able to keep all of these guys. And to me, this always makes it seem like San Diego believes that they won't be retained the services of Machado who can opt out after 2023 or Juan Soto, who's a free agent, I believe, after 2024. Additionally, the Padres were also in on Trey Turner. They get Bogarts. So if they're in the shortstop market, it seems like they want someone to play shortstop, which could mean or also signal a move to the outfield permanently for Fernando Tatis Jr. So what do you break of that, that? What I put in the article as well as just the Bogart signing in general.
1: Yeah, so I think for San Diego, it's nice that they saved $62 million off the reported offer that they made to Trey Turner of $342 million that he turned down to take 300 mil from the Phillies. Um, I agree with you that I think it signals they're not keeping either Soto or Machado, but I think that this is a sign that they may not keep Machado mm-hmm. because um, doing a little digging and hearing from you know, some beat writers and whatnot. It appears that Bogarts and Soto are very good friends. Um, and so this may have been a offer to be like, hey, why don't you sign long-term and then you can hang out with your friend and play baseball with um, your friend for the rest of his your careers. Um, it is also a solidification of the news that we all expected, which was that Tatis would be moved to the outfield. Um, on a full-time basis. It's just a better way to keep him healthy. Left fielders typically get hurt less than, you know, any other outfield position, as well as certainly shortstop, there's less wear and tear. And you need Tatis to stay healthy at this point. He needs to be on the field. He needs to start rebuilding his trust and, and, you know, whatnot with his teammates after the whole PED thing and, you know, basically lying about how he got injured in the first place. Um, So you need some value out of that 13-year deal. So, yes, I think that that Bogarts is absolutely the starting shortstop for them. I think this definitely signals that they would prefer to keep Soto over Machado, which makes sense because um, he's just younger. Um, So, you know, that's what I feel. I don't think that this changes Bogarts' fantasy projection all that much, to be perfectly honest. We've seen Machado put up ridiculous numbers in San Diego. Um, And it's not like, you know, in Boston, he had to deal with cold weather to start the year and end the year, and then humid summers, right? You basically get the same weather all year round in San Diego. So there's no weather concerns there either.
0: How much does this stink for us East coasters who may not be night owls that we won't get to see, or we'll have to make an, an active effort to stay up to see potentially opposing pitchers in a row once Tatis returns from suspension, some sort of quartet in whatever order you want it to be of Machado, Tatis, Soto, and Bogarts, not to mention the other bats that they have too.
1: I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm lucky to be in the central time zone because I get the, you know, late games here. I can watch an East coast game and then go and stay up and watch basically a full uh, West coast game, generally speaking, because it starts early enough and I tend to be up a little later um, it does stink. I do have to say as a Yankees fan, it was very fun enjoying watching Boston fans meltdown over losing <laughs> one of their homegrown studs. Um, and it may happen again next year with Devers. Um, I mean, I don't know. You know, you can change your sleep cycle if you want to watch the Padres.
0: Easier said than done, my friend. Easier yeah. said than done. And we'll wrap up the NL West here with kind of just, I mean... Dimebacks trade for Kyle Lewis, so be it. Dodgers did their thing, brought in Jason Hayward, who I still can't believe is somehow sticking around. Also made a trade for for another arm. And the Rockies signed Chris Bryant last offseason, and they feel content that they're good or that yeah, they, they are They, they don't they even are.
1: own their own state, by the way. Baseball Reference tweeted out uh, a map showing the most viewed team pages in each state, and Colorado viewed the Mariners more often last year than the Rockies. So... It's going well for for Rockies. And then when
0: now, I mean, obviously it's early. A lot can happen. Still, plenty of you know decent players out there in free agency. Um, Dodgers are still the cream of the crop of the NL West. You think, right? Uh, or do you? Does the some of the other moves made, probably more so what the Padres did, maybe thrust them to the top of the NL West in twenty twenty three?
1: I think the Padres are on equal footing. I'm not ready to give up on the Dodgers winning the division. They simply, I mean, they took it. In dominating fashion last year, they finished what 22 games ahead of the Padres, um, last year. But there is some concern with the Dodgers. Um, you know, they lost Tyler Anderson from the rotation. Walker Bueller isn't going to be there basically all year. Um, you do get Kershaw back. Okay. I mean, how long is his back going to hold up, or his shoulder, or whatever other part he decides to injure? Um, I just think that there's a, like they have a farm system and it seems to be whoever they plug in seems to be good enough to take over. But if you're looking at the overall uh, eliteness of each roster, I would take the Padres over the Dodgers right now. Um, It's just hard to get over that foursome of Bogarts, Soto, Machado and Tatis when he's back. Um, And the, The Padres rotation is pretty good. So I would put the Giants right now third Mm -hmm. with a shot that, you know, maybe they uncork a season like that two years ago with 107 wins. I don't see that happening, but we didn't see that one happening either. So, you know, Um, and then the Rockies are in last and the Diamondbacks are fourth, in my opinion.
0: Yep. I will concur with you on that one. So let's go over to another fun division. when This one's been pretty, pretty active for the most part. Uh, in the National League East, we'll start with the Mets. They have basically made a concerted effort that they don't care about the luxury tax. Uh, Cohen doesn't care what he has to pay. They are doing what they feel they must to win. They've pretty much they made pretty good signings for the most part. The maybe the Verlander deal, you could maybe look at depending how you wanted to look at that um, I think you're paying for a proven ace. So there you go. You got them. They went and got Senga from overseas on a pretty good deal. Jose Quintana, former Pittsburgh great. David Robertson should help with the pen. The only move I don't like that they did was Brandon Nimmo. I think it was a bit of an overpay for a couple of different reasons. Um, But this team is certainly not afraid. Let me put it this way. The owner is certainly not afraid to spend money at this team. So what the Mets have made, it seems, a good quantity of moves. And the quality, outside of Nimo has been there as well. So what, what what do you make of the Mets free agent class so, so far?
1: So it's hard to poo-poo it, right? Because the star right. power is there. Kodai Senga, if he shows up and does what we all think he could, he could be the best third starter in baseball. Um, I wrote that piece up, and he's basically got stuff equivalent to Yu Darvish when he came over. Um, not as young or as overarchingly dominant, but the, the stuff is there. Like, he can hit 102. He's got a ghost fork ball, apparently, which just sounds awesome. Um, the five-year, $75 million deal is, frankly, a flipping steal compared to what, and we'll touch on what the Red Sox did in the AL one, but when one of the Japanese guys went for $15 million more than the other one, and the wrong guy went for more money, then that's a steal for the Mets. Um, frankly, I think the Jose Quintana deal is a steal that nobody's talking about. As crazy as that sounds, like Quintana finished with a sub three ERA last year in like 30 starts. Like, that's really good for a number four starter, right? Like, Carlos Carrasco is their number five starter at this point. Um, so when DeGrom left, people were like, Oh, that's not a great rotation. And then a week later, and it's like the best rotation in baseball. Um yeah the Nimmo one's a little confusing you're giving a guy twenty plus million dollars a year who can't stay healthy and is really just like I don't know he gets on base and scores runs but not a whole lot else really um and this comes from a guy who's had him for three straight years in fantasy baseball and hoping that one of those years would be a good one um he just he just
0: seems like... A master of all, or a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Like, when you look, career-high homers, 17, not necessarily great for an outfielder. Career-high nine stolen bases, fine, doesn't really set himself apart. Career-269 hitter, decent, but there's there's no, like, elite part of his fantasy game. And I think from the fantasy perspective, that's what I, I find myself getting hung up on. It's like $20 million for a guy who's good, but not great in right. any so one like- particular category.
1: I guess this is where we have to detach ourselves from, like, the Mets aren't making moves for fantasy baseball. They're making moves for baseball players. And Brandon Nimmo is a baseball player, right? He makes them better. He's a very good defensive outfielder. Uh, He's got speed. He's like the equivalent of the Yankees' Harrison Bader, right? Like, not as fast, but basically like the same type guy. And I think the signing was a little bit of an overreaction to the fan base saying, okay, well, are we going to re-sign our homegrown kid that seems to be like a fan favorite right um but my biggest question is are they going to gel right like San Diego tried this several years ago and just signed everybody in free agency like everybody like signed Craig Kimbrell for a chunk of money they signed like um Hosmer and when they got I think Machado and they signed like a bunch of dudes. And then by like June, they were out of the playoffs and they started dealing these pieces off for prospects. Not saying Steve Cohen's going to do that. I'm just saying that sometimes spending a heap ton of money doesn't necessarily get you the results you're hoping for right off the bat. Um, and they certainly spent a heap ton of money. They're, the last time I looked, their contracts were like $340 million for this year is their, their team salary, which is the most expensive team in the history of baseball. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I think ultimately he's doing what the Dodgers did 10 years ago. If everybody flashes back to when the Dodgers were sold like a decade ago, they had no farm system. They weren't really competing and they all just started dumping mass quantities of money to go get big name guys. Right. And they competed and they drafted really well and they signed international free agents really well and they made some trades to get some prospects um and whatnot and now what do they have they can just plug and play prospects and make key signings when they feel the need to make the key signings I think that's what the Mets are going for right now
0: and this team when you look at it I mean yes they got Starling Marte Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso. they have good hitters the strength in this team is going to lie in the arms I mean Verlander Scherzer and Senga like you talked about could be a potential very least you got an elite 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 top two, and you could have the best fifth starter in baseball in Carrasco or Quintana, how you look at it. David Robertson puts a very strong, you know, eighth and ninth inning punch with David Robertson and Edwin Diaz. And, and let's not the forget,
1: lineup... David Peterson and Tyler McGill are now their sixth yes. to seventh starters, and those guys did pretty well when they were in the rotation last year. So, you know, there are still some health concerns. It's the Mets. Everybody seems to get hurt for the Mets at least once a year. Um so they have some depth, and if they stay healthy, then they can make a key trade from now a position of strength to go fill it in. So, so we'll see. It is a it is a frenzy though, for the for the Mets. And as
0: absolutely and as ap- active as they've been, I mean, you look at the Phillies. Um, you know, the Padres went after Trey Turner. We 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 had said it in the pods throughout the season, and by we, I'm going to give you the credit in terms of you saying it. Turner was destined to come back to the East coast. That was just something that was going to, it, the writing was on the wall. He wanted to be there. They all knew it. And from the reports, he took less to be in Philly compared to being in, uh, in San Diego. So Phillies had a position or a weakness at short. That was a position they clearly wanted to address. They did that with Trey Turner, good speed. So even as he ages, he might lose a little bit of speed, but he's just got such good discipline and contact metrics at the plate. I don't really fret too much of giving him a deal like this. And when you really look at it, for him to take a little bit less, Philly has to be jumping for joy. That Turner only went for about 20 more mil than Bogart's.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, so his wife's family is from New Jersey. Um, So there's the draw to the East Coast. And Philly is obviously, depending on where in Jersey, you could be 30 minutes from family or you could be, you know, just a couple hours if they're over by New York. Um, He gets to... You know, get reunited with Kyle Schwarber and and Bryce Harper uh, from time with the Nats. Obviously not together, but they were both on the Nats. And the key thing, the key thing for fantasy baseball, and people don't talk about this enough. Who is the Phillies hitting coach, Colby? Tell me, Matt. It's Kevin Long. The Nationals had Kevin Long, longtime Yankees hitting coach. They let him go. The Nationals hired Kevin Long. And the dumbest decision the Nats made was letting Kevin Long go. Um, but if you recall, there was a year where everything just clicked for Trey Turner. That was the year that Kevin Long showed up. Kevin Long picks Trey Turner swing. In the offseason, Trey Turner will work with and has worked with Kevin Long, even though Kevin Long was on the Philly staff and Trey Turner was with the Nats and the Dodgers, right? So, the guy who got Trey Turner to be everybody's favorite fantasy shortstop is now his hitting coach for the long haul and the park will fit Trey Turner very nicely. Um, this is just a really nice, as much as it pains me to say as a Nats fan, uh, it's a nice signing by the Phillies to get Trey Turner. Um, And he'll be the leadoff guy that they've been searching for or number two hitter that they've been searching for. And they haven't had a good shortstop since, what, Jimmy Rollins? Um, Like, it feels like that long, basically. Um, So, yeah, that was a nice signing. But the one that really intrigues me is they went and snatched another former Met pitcher in Taiwan Walker. Like, they've made a habit out of this now, right? Because this is the second they took Zach Wheeler from the Mets. Mm -hmm. And now they got Walker, who... Was pretty underrated, I thought, based off of his showings last year. So that's he's going to be a nice, probably number three for them, I would imagine, behind Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. You yeah.
0: Know. Yeah. Roster resource has Walker as the three right now. At first, I was skeptical of that move because I was just like, man, Taiwan Walker got 18 mil a year. And then, as more, we saw more signings come in, okay, pitchers are at a premium. They're probably going to get priced up a little bit anyway. And like you said, I, I can't deny it. Walker was damn good last year. You can't deny it. I mean, you look at the numbers, and he was great. There, I, as much as I don't want to believe and I want to envision that the 2021 Walker is what he is and forever will be, what he showed in 2022 was damn impressive.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's no... I mean, he was a number, what, four starter, number five starter for the Mets? I mean, now he's got arguably just as good of an offense with him. He's got... He's basically in the same ballparks, right? Same division, so he knows the ballparks. He switches from having to face the Phillies' offense to having to face the Mets' offense. Basically the same thing. So, I like this move. I think there's value there for fantasy. Um... And it's a solid job bolstering a pitching staff that was clearly outclassed in the postseason last year. Yep,
0: absolutely. And then two last things to the Phillies here. I want you to touch on their uh, Rule 5 pick that may have raised some eyebrows. And then also the question to you that I'm going to answer here as well. Does Phillies still need help? And if so, where do you think they look to go? To me, at a quick look when I look at this team, first glance – Maybe they look to boost the DH spot a little bit. Dark Hall is not horrible, but I imagine you can get somebody a little bit better out there. And then I think I might be cheating a little bit, but I think they're going to want another bullpen arm or two. Um But what say you?
1: Well, so I would, I would actually hold off on DH because, remember, they have Bryce coming back midseason. Correct. Right. So then you could stick either Bryce in the DH spot or Castellanos in the DH spot and I think they're okay because Brandon Marsh is a decent enough s- defensive center fielder um, to to stick out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Noah Song was their Rule 5 pick. He was a Red Sox prospect. And I loved him when he was coming out of college, um, had all sorts of phenomenal stuff. He would have been a first-round pick except for the fact that he went to the Naval Academy, which means he had to serve – three or four years of a naval commitment in order to essentially pay back for his free education, right? So that's all well and good. Thanks for your service and, you know, all that. But he still has time left to serve in the in the Navy. So what makes it a very odd rule five pick is that the guy has to be on the 25-man roster for the entirety – sorry, now 26-man roster – for the entirety of the season. Otherwise you send them back to the team you drafted them from unless they get injured. Right. But you can't put the guy on the injured list because he's doing Naval service. So like, it's just a very weird pick unless there's some loophole they're aware of that no other baseball, like I'm not the only one that feels this way. Like there are national writers. that are like, well, I don't know how that's going to work. We're going to have to find out if, he gets out of the rest of his naval service where there's a loophole of some sort. He is a very interesting guy to watch, probably not for this year, but going forward. I mean, he's got like number two starter stuff. Um, he's just going to need innings because he hasn't pitched professionally in like three years. So it's just a weird it's just a weird pick, in, yep. in my opinion.
0: Yep. And again, Harper does come back midseason, you know, around there, another backhand hurt. Uh, I still think a bullpen arm is going to be one that they're going to want too. Look at because as we've learned, you can never have enough bullpen arms to say the very least. Let's move to Atlanta. Acquired Sean Murphy and Joe Jimenez. Jimenez, I like to say, it both ways uh, via trade. Some of the trades that made have been a little bit interesting. Notably, the players maybe more so that they they gave away than got. Although I do love Sean Murphy. Um, so with everything that Atlanta's done this off season, as well as in conjunction with what the Phillies have and what the Mets have done. Do the Braves still win the division in
1: 2023? So, it's hard to go against them, given that they've won the division two years in a row now. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to... I, I I still think they're basically dead even with the Mets. Um, I think the Mets have overarching firepower, but... I think the Braves have like that core group has been together for several years now. So they have chemistry and they can pick each other up and they can, you know, the, the it's that intangible that, that winning teams get where they just know each other and they gel and whatnot. So I'm still going to lean with the Braves. Um, I trust Alex Anthopoulos to go out there and make some moves if they need stuff. I mean, remember, the year that they won the World Series, he completely rebuilt their entire outfield at the trade deadline with moves that nobody really paid attention to. Um, So I I would probably still give it to the Braves, just because the core group that they have, I think, is overall all-around better. Um, but the Mets, if they hold their lead, because they got off to a very hot start last year and then kind of collapsed down the stretch. If they hold their lead, then, you know, it's going to be tough for Atlanta to catch them, but I have them neck and neck.
0: Yeah, this division is going to be fun, and the, the, the most interesting thing about it, despite Verlander, Senga, Quintana, Nimmo, Turner, Tywin Walker, all coming to this division, this division might not be done. The Mets might not be done. I don't think we can ever count the Mets out in terms of any free agent, and the Phillies might not be done either. So that is going to be interesting. But there are two other teams in this division, Matt, as you are well aware. So let me ask this. What do you think of the Nats offseason thus far and the couple of players that they got? And then also, it seems like the Marlins, the only thing that they have done is basically assured john birdie a chance to lead the league in stolen bases in 2023
1: yeah um the marlins i don't think they've done anything uh which might give credence to why derek jeter walked away from the franchise um and the Nats. i'll say this look it's i know it's going to be another probably two years before they're really ready to compete Uh, i do like what they're doing it's very fun to watch the rebuild and by the way beat writers can we please focus on the the players that are on the team and the young guys that are coming up rather than, Oh, whoa, was us? We lost Bryce and, and Doan and Soto and Turner and Scherzer. And yeah, it was great while it lasted. Everybody's roster turns over. You don't see Yankees fans going, well, what if we still had Jeter and he didn't retire? Like, you know, let's focus on the guys we got um, so that we can, you know, grow the fan base and whatnot. But that being said, I think Trevor Williams is a, is a decent signing for an innings-eating, back half-of-the-rotation-type guy. Um, Heimer Condelario, look, it's a one-year prove-it deal for third base, which has been a position that the Nats have needed to fill since Rendon walked out the door. Um I think if you get the 2019... um you know, 2021 version of Heimer Condolario, it's going to be nice because for a couple of years there, he was actually third. He was the third best third baseman in B war in baseball. Um, Stone Garrett's interesting. I like the rule five pick of Thad ward. that That guy's got a filthy slider fastball combination. Um, so they're, they're growing pieces. I don't mind it at all. I didn't expect huge. Sign, like, Did I hope for Trey Turner? Sure, but in the middle of a sale, I didn't think they were going to go out and spend like $300 million.
0: Yep, I didn't expect them to, at least not yet. Maybe in a, maybe in a couple offseason, they're a little bit closer, maybe, but this offseason, nope. Let's wrap it up with, arguably, and I might be a little bit biased, but the most exciting division in baseball, because I haven't uh-huh. had a chance to talk about them for a little bit. But we'll, how, we'll get how are to,
1: your Pirates' we'll 14, 14 first baseman going?
0: Just, they got a plan. OK, <laughs> listen, I'll, I'll I'll hit you with a real quote that can get clipped and it'll go everywhere and spread for just spread for fake news and lies and just false claims and everything like that. But we'll get to the Pirates at the end because you saved the best for last. But let's start with Milwaukee. Uh, they traded for Jesse Winker and Abraham Toro. Uh, they got William Contreras, who I love and I loved him in Atlanta. So I feel like I now have to like him in Milwaukee and also got Javi Guerra from Tampa. So in a division where you now have a Cardinals team with a lot of offensive firepower and some good arms, the Cubs or whatever. And then the pirates are in the division too. Did the Brewers do enough or have they done enough thus far this
1: offseason? Man, I don't, I can never get a read on the Brewers. Can you like every year no. they just kind of hang there. And then all of a sudden they're in, they're in competition for the lead in the NL central. Like they almost won it last year. And Nobody can name, like, their third starter. Like, Uh, look, I don't know. It seems to come down to what magician trick Craig Council can pull in the dugout every single day. Um, I think they need to shore up a little bit more of their bats. I'm not in love with their offense as a whole. Um, Christian Yelich has been terrible for three years now. Um, So, I don't know. It's hard to look. They've got a group of players that they like. Clearly, they made the moves to like them. And it it always seems to work out for them. So who am I to doubt them? But, man, is this a weird grouping of players.
0: I think I think that's a great way to look at it. Because you look at the team, and Yelich, fine. Winker's cool. I like Contreras a good bit. And I'll be excited to see him in that role. And obviously, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Eric Lauer, and Freddie Peralta, and my guy Aaron Ashby are a decent... Pitching bunch, Devin Williams will be a popular closer in fantasy baseball drafts this season. But, I mean, if we're looking right now at roster resource, I'm looking at their projected opening day roster for this eclectic bunch, as you'd like to say. Sure, you got Yelich leading off, but we're talking about Rowdy Tellez as your three-hitter. And then your bottom three hitters per this, assuming a righty's on the mound, is Garrett Mitchell, Tyrone Taylor, and Bryce Tarang. I mean... A weird team might be an understatement, to be honest, Matt. Right,
1: but here's the thing. Like, can you discount them for finishing anything below second in this division?
0: Well, they, they they've, go, they've, right? earned, they've, ha- they've had to have done enough to earn our trust in terms of how they continue to do this. Despite every, It seems like every offseason it goes into, I don't know how they're going to do it. They got some arms. I don't know what they're going to make of it. The next thing you know, at the end of the year, we're in the same exact thing year in and year out.
1: Right, like if they win three games in late September, they win the division. Right? Like, but nobody can tell you how. <laughs> like, it's like watching the Saints and Falcons play. They score points, but ain't nobody figuring out how they're putting up points.
0: They're to the fantasy football equivalent to this is almost like the when the third string tight end scores that no one has on their team. It's just like, oh, Milwaukee does it again, but we don't know. Yeah. How. Like,
1: the Giants yeah. used Isaiah Hodgins to score the other day. And I was like, I don't even know who that is. Yep. Like,
0: yeah, it's this team this team is interesting. I think we're at the point of like, let's just slot them in at second and second, maybe worst third in the division and just not look at the stats ever. i can mean, just I can't tell that you that the staff I, carried them.
1: I can't tell you that they should finish worse than second, though, because if you look at that roster, they're still better than the Cubs, they're better than the Pirates, and they're better than the Reds. Yep. yep. The only team they're not better than definitively is the Cardinals. But like the Cardinals seem to like get out the gate slowly every year. So I, I don't know.
0: Well, well, speaking speaking of the Cardinals, Wilson Contreras was the – he was easily the top catcher on the market for me in the top five free agent series that you and I split amongst different positions. He was my number one guy. I was big on him last year. They obviously know more Yachty, so they got Wilson Contreras now behind the dish, which I do like. And now looking at this lineup, we're talking Contreras, Goldschmidt, and Arenado in the heart of that order. I mean – They at again, it's hard to discount Milwaukee, but the Cardinals, along with some of the arms that they have, assuming they can stay healthy and everything works out there, they seem like a runaway for the NL Central.
1: I mean, they had two of the two of the NL MVP finalists, yep, in that like between Arenado and Goldie, um, who was right there with Machado. So, like, it's hard to discount when you have that firepower, um, and Look, Cubs fans are going to say, oh, well, catchers over 30 get old. No, I mean, not the great ones. And Contreras is a different kind of catcher. Um, I don't really understand why the Cubs allowed him to walk in the first place. Agreed. Like, I don't – I got the idea that they they didn't want to trade him at the deadline because they thought they could try to extend him. Okay. And then if you even want to go with the Rockies logic of we're not going to trade the guy because we can get better value with the comp pick than what we're going to get in the trade market. I don't know that that was going to be true because it's Wilson Contreras. Um, But then to give, and we're, you know, the Cubs are next up, but like to give Cody Bellinger the same AAV for one year that the Cardinals are giving Wilson Contreras for five years, just seems like you're trying to avoid long-term contracts. But – like, why? Because you signed Say a Suzuki, and now you're gonna waste his entire career with you. Because you have nobody else to put in the outfield or the lineup with him. You let Rizzo go. You let Schwarber go. You let Bryant go. Like, it's just a weird. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in the NL Central. Like, the Cardinals definitively won the offseason for this division, and they didn't. All they did was sign one guy. Like, you know. So, yes, the Cardinals did yeah. enough. They can win the division.
0: Yeah, are going to win the division. When you look at the Cubs, I mean, it's scary enough that Bellinger's likely going to begin the year in a rather key spot in that lineup, probably hitting fourth, fifth, somewhere in there. The only thing, when I look at this Cubs lineup right now, there's some pieces individually that I like, but the first thing I – when I look at this lineup, the first thing I think of is when we start putting out DFS content on the site, whomever the Cubs play – I'm expecting that pitcher to probably have a good bit of strikeouts and on prize picks, underdog, wherever you play, I'm probably gonna be taking a lot of pitching strikeout over props against this Cubs lineup. That's the first thing that comes to mind when I see this team.
1: Yeah, I mean it's just not it's just not great. Like Nico Horner is slated to be the leadoff guy according again to roster resource. Say a Suzuki in the two hole, Ian got pop. Okay, great, but like he doesn't make contact with the ball every time. Cody Bellinger is a work in progress for four years now. Um Christopher Morel, okay. He had a good three week stretch. Um Matt Mervis, hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> like Jan Gomes, okay. He's solid enough catcher. He's not Wilson Contreras, but he's a serviceable starter. Alfonso Rivas. Got hot enough that he took over the starting job by default because the other guy was terrible. And Nick Madrigal, uh, yeah, that's about all I can say about that guy. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> I mean, it's gonna it, be rough. It's gonna. Sorry, gonna Cubs be fans, rough. but like, and the bench isn't even much. But like, Patrick Wisdom, okay, he's got some pop. Great but he also hit, like, 207. So he didn't even hit his weight last year. And then Zach McKinstry, dude was a jack-of-all-trades utility guy for the Dodgers. And so, yeah, I, I don't expect a whole lot from him. It. So it's just a weird... Like, their, their rotation, the top three in the rotation is pretty decent. And Marcus Stroman, and then they added Jamison Tyone on a four-year deal. And Kyle Hendricks, but, like, none of it screams we have an ace it all screams we have five dudes who can throw a baseball yep,
0: yep. they're they're almost operating of the you know like in college football you have if you have two quarterbacks you don't have one quarterback it seems like they have like three sp3s without an sp1 or an sp2 that's just what yep. it seems like and that might that may even be a bit generous if i'm being if i'm being honest but Let's move on to the team that's probably going to finish fourth, maybe fifth, maybe third.
1: Would you be severely disappointed if your Pirates didn't beat the Cubs?
0: I feel like I'd have to be.
1: I mean, if you look at the, if you if, assuming that they keep Brian Reynolds, which they may trade, I don't...
0: Correct. If they keep him, when you look at first glance at the lineup and the rotation, you can get behind what Pittsburgh has more than what Chicago has.
1: Yeah, I'm not quite too, like, I don't think it's quite up to the Brewers yet, but it's, no. like, O'Neill Cruz, Brian Reynolds, Brian Hayes, now you've got 14 first basemen with G-Man Choi and Carlos Santana. Um, And then you've got some interesting guys behind that, like Rodolfo Castro, Cal Mitchell, um, whatnot. Miguel Andujar apparently still in baseball, so that's good to know. Like, there's some interesting – if the top three hitters in this lineup carry you, I think it'll be a third-place team. I
0: think I think that's what's going to have to happen. They do have some intriguing young prospects. I, I believe their best ones are, in terms of offense, are their outfielders. Um, Swaggerty, and I always say his name wrong, Mark, Marcano. Oh, yeah. I'm not even going to try his first name. I always say it wrong. But those guys – Swaggerty, at least. He does. Interesting, yeah. Tucapita, two, two two Tucapita, Marcano. Uh,
1: Kanan Smith is a pretty. Yeah, I'm not going for the second part of the hyphenation, but <laughs> yeah,
0: but and then when we look at Pittsburgh, too, Vince Velasquez will be awesome for about three starts, and then he'll be. Yeah, hurt. did you see that hype
1: video on Twitter, man? They they yeah. were real high on signing.
0: Listen, nothing gets nothing gets past this guy, Matt. I saw right through that, and I was like, what a fun three starts it'll be because he'll either be dominant and get hurt. Or he's going to get shellacked and get hurt, and I'll at least make money on DFS, profiting off of him <laughs> pitching. So either way, I'm going to be happy. So it's one of those things. And then Brubaker Baker, and Wilson are just kind of guys that are able to throw a baseball. So their 4.7 plus ERAs can just hang out in the SP4 and SP5. And then same thing happens in the bullpen. David Bednar will be the closer, and once again, I said it last off se- or last pre or during the season leading up to the deadline. Uh, prime trade candidate again. Oh, yeah, they
1: didn't move him last been year. Last year, we couldn't figure out why he wasn't.
0: I know. So maybe this is maybe we're, maybe we were just a year too early. That's what I'm kind of going with there. But yeah, Pittsburgh looks like a third or fourth team. I don't think they'll finish last in the division. For what it's worth, will it be the uh, Cubs or it's the it's Reds? The that Cubs I don't know. Or the
1: Reds. What'd you say? I think it's either the Cubs or the Reds.
0: I think it has to be because when you look at Cincinnati, Joey Votto's not getting any younger. Jonathan Indy is fine, but last year he was iffy with injuries and everything. And that lineup, I mean, they might even look worse than, than Chicago. Now they do have a great home park that's going to play them up, but this free or this offseason, Kevin Newman, they brought in, former Pittsburgh Great, and then Nick Solak, both just high contact, don't really do anything else. Guys maybe fine defensively. Seems like they're just adding players at this point and basically going, yeah, the park will play them up, and we'll get by, and we'll do what we can. Um, but we have Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo, so that'll be fun on days that they pitch.
1: Yeah, I mean, and Justin Dunn sneaks into the starting rotation, I guess. Um, but yeah, it seems like they're going for warm bodies until their prospects start to start to come up. They do have no LV Marte in A, thanks to the uh, Luis Castillo trade last year um so he'll be you know a a premier shortstop for them going forward eli de la cruz is incredibly exciting at third base that guy's got pop for days and should be owned in every dynasty league on the planet um you know so you've got michael ciani is a solid enough outfielder not like a dominating bat but certainly good enough to uh to have fantasy relevance, Brandon Williamson's an interesting pros- starting prospect again from the Seattle trade. Um, so there, there's some. Levi Stout is a pretty interesting guy too that came from Seattle. Um, so there are some prospects. It just seems like they're trying to hold on, um, you know, till like Austin their also gets up there. So they they have an entire homegrown starting lineup coming of guys that can be pretty decent. Um, except you know, first or catcher, really. But um, yeah, it's it's not great days in Cincinnati.
0: Yeah, what what's interesting to me, and I guess this is kind of be my final question before we wrap this up. Of the National League divisions, with the the division that we talked about, to me, as of right now, if I were half to say. As of right now, I know the order of how that division is going to finish. I think the one I'd be most confident in would be the Central. Would you agree? Um, Because at least for the Central, I I can nail down the top two. Maybe in the West, I can do the top three, depending how you view the Dodgers compared to the potteries and Giants. But that NL East, I I don't know if I can do that one. The NL East is the
1: hardest one. By far. Whoever gets hot to start the year is probably going to carry the division between the Phillies, the Braves, and the Mets, Mm -hmm. right? The Nationals may beat the Marlins. I don't know. The Marlins have a pretty decent pitching staff with, like, Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez and um, whatnot. But, yeah, I have no no idea as to who's going to finish the top three in the NL East. In the NL West... I'm reasonably confident that it would be, like, I think the Giants are a third-place team, I think the the Rockies are last, the Diamondbacks are fourth, and then it's a toss-up to me between the Padres and Dodgers, whoever can stay healthy and get the most out of their guys, right, Um, with, I think, the Padres having the lead for that right now. I'm with you, though, the NL Central, to me, aside from who's probably a fourth, or fifth place team, I think to me it's like, it's clearly the Cardinals at the top, then it's the Brewers. Then I may put, I don't know, man. I want to put the Cubs, but I kind of want to put the Pirates in third. That's the right answer. And then Cubs fourth and Reds fifth. Yep. Like, I think the Reds are clearly last. And then for me, it's between the Cubs and Pirates as to who finishes third and fourth.
0: Yep. And I think a big part of that is leading up to the season. I think if Pittsburgh trades Brian Reynolds, I think we put the Cubs at three
1: yes. and Pittsburgh at four. But if
0: they keep Reynolds, maybe they can they can sneak into the three. But that is gonna do that's gonna do it. For this episode, we broke down the NL East or the NL East, NL Central, and NL West. So the entire state of the National League here in this offseason edition will be back probably in a couple of days. Break down the American League in a similar manner and talk about what teams have and have not done. But until then. Make sure you give Matt a follow on Twitter at the Sellsman I'm on Twitter at Colby R. Conway. And make sure over at FantasyAlarm.com you're checking out all the great content. But most notably for this, the MLB free agent tracker and other articles that might come up as key players signs. So once again, check out all of that here at FantasyAlarm.com. Give Matt a follow on Twitter at Sellsman I'm at Colby R. Conway. And we'll see you here in a couple of days for the next edition of the offseason Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast.